0: Hello everyone, you're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. Before I get into this week's episode, I wanted to briefly take a moment to thank everyone that's reached out to me with kind words about the show. I really love hearing that we're featuring guests and themes that resonate with our industry peers, so I sincerely thank you for that feedback. And for those interested, I do share how to connect with me at the end of the episode. But in the meantime, while I've got your attention, please make sure to like and subscribe to Digital Builder and your favorite podcast player. It really does help us out on the back end when you do that. So enough with the housekeeping drudgery, let's just jump into the episode. This week I'm joined by two impressively accomplished women to discuss innovation and how we can encourage our peers to innovate on the job site. It also happens to be Women in Construction Week, which ties into the second half of our show, which will be focused on mentorship and construction. My guests are Jen Sewerth, Vice President of Technical Services at Pepper Construction Group, and Kara Wolzinski, Construction Customer Outcomes Executive here at Autodesk. Thank you both for joining me. I'd like to kick things off by learning a bit about your journey through the construction world. Let's start with Kara.
0: I'm Kara Wolczynski and I am a Customer Outcome Executive here at Autodesk. And it's my responsibility to convey futures to our customers. So product roadmap, vision, and it's really my job to make sure that we're aligned with our customers strategically when it, when it comes to futures so prior to autodesk i worked for a few large construction management companies in industry and i worked in trying to bring technology in to these companies where it made sense
1: that's awesome jen could you give your background to our listeners
2: sure i'm jen Sewerth, vice president of technical services at pepper construction pepper is a large general contractor based out of the midwest but we will do work all over the country My role is really to lead how we leverage technology as a company. So it's everything from virtual construction to 3D modeling, some of the new innovative technologies to just general processes around our operations and how they leverage technology. I have a background actually in design, so I have a dual degree in architecture and a master's also in structural engineering. So I've practiced as an architect, a structural engineer, and then a little over a decade ago came over to the construction side i was leveraging technology just to be a better designer unaware that you know technology was actually a career opportunity in construction so after spending some time on a full-time construction site and seeing some gaps between design and construction i kind of made my transition over to the construction side and i've been loving it
1: (laughs) I love that you've said the bit about a career in construction technology and I think we're going to get a chance to talk about that in depth in our section about mentorship in particular, but it's it's always such an interesting perception that People don't really understand that it's not just you know pouring concrete and you know throwing up buildings. There's there's so much more nuance to construction technology, and and I'm especially excited about this particular conversation because, of course, both of you have worked in industry and you know been boots on the ground on all the different job sites. But we have a really cool opportunity to balance you know Jen out in the the building world getting stuff done, and then Kara's got this great background with the customer service to really talk to how her team enables and empowers our customers to just really get the job done in the best way possible. So as I mentioned earlier, the first segment of today's show, we're going to be discussing facilitating innovation in construction. And I think there's a lot to unpack surrounding how all types and sizes of construction teams really can innovate even with different levels of resourcing available to them dependent on the size and scope of their organization. But I think we should begin with what is the most important baseline, I think, for this conversation. And that is, what does innovation mean to you as an industry leader? Jen, can you kick us off on that one?
2: Sure. So in simple terms, it's really a new idea that has been transformed into a practical reality. So it could be a product, a process, a service, but it needs to add value in some form to your business. It's really crucial to the success for any company. And I think there's a misconception that, you know, innovation has to be this big, crazy, wild thing, but really you can innovate even the smallest little task or process. So that's really, really important to know.
0: Yeah. And I think just to kind of add a little bit to that, I, I totally agree with you, Jen. I think a lot of people automatically think that innovation is directly, you know, linked to technology. And with kind of what you said, I think it's rethinking a process. It's It might be involving new technology, but it might be actually leveraging old technology that you might have and rethinking a way to repurpose that specific technology. And I think the basis of innovation is discovery, right? So, you know, you really can't innovate without that that basis.
1: I like hearing that and it's it's such an intentional thing, but not In a way where you're, you know, running around to all your team members and going, are you innovating today or something, you know, because that that would be awkward, obviously, like, like 10% of your job should be innovation and documented in this particular way. Like, that's obviously not the path forward. But now that we've got a bit of a baseline for, you know, what we consider to be innovation in construction, I'd really like to discuss, you know, how we can actually make that happen. And I'd like to to pose a hypothetical situation to both of you to figure out a way to unpack this a little bit. So imagine each of you have a friend that has just joined a new construction team in a role similar to one that you've had in your career so far. Their executives are eager for new and innovative ways for getting their projects completed. What advice would you give them for how to proceed on day one? And then also, what about day 30 and day 90?
2: this is a great question and it's a big challenge for a lot of people when they first start off in this new type of role um, especially if you're at a new company overall which is kind of the situation i was in when i joined pepper really from day one it's getting to know the people the processes and the challenges that are out there and people is a critical part of it you know when you're introducing new ways of doing things and new ways of thinking It's really important to build that relationship and trust with the people in the organization otherwise you might start off on the wrong foot additionally there's so many options of things that you can implement in a company so really helping prioritize what makes sense is really really important so i really recommend day one you know not only getting to know the people like i said but Really understanding, okay, what are the current processes at the company, what are some challenges, listening to people and really getting their feedback, because you want them part of it as well. And then I would say the next 30 days is really kind of mapping out a plan. What's your roadmap? Um, you're going to hear a lot of feedback from people, you're going to have a lot of ideas, and some might be longer term goals and some are shorter term goals. So. Really look at that, prioritize what makes sense, um, and see what's achievable. Don't worry about trying to tackle the biggest thing first. Sometimes it's all about the, the small wins. I always tell my team, you know, we're having small wins every day. And then by the end of the year, you see one large win and you're really excited. But the small wins mean just as much as the big wins. So I think those first 30 days is really mapping out, okay, where are the priorities, setting your roadmap. And then within 90 days, you should be able to execute something. That's those small wins that I'm talking about. But, you know, within 90 days, you should be able to feel like you've made an impact in some form or fashion, and you've really aligned with the priorities of the company. But it's important that you're continuously checking in with your leadership, with the team members that you've engaged in this conversation cuz they should be part of the whole process. They're not just there to give ideas and then, you know, leverage what you've you've suggested. They should really be part of the process throughout. So it's really important that you're you're tying them into that throughout.
0: Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And I'm going to kind of inject some of my customer success stuff in here because I do think that it does very strongly align with a lot of the principles that I follow with a lot of my customers today. And I think that the first thing, you're totally right. You know, you listen, you learn, you understand the process, how people are currently doing something, executing something. And then from there, it gives you an opportunity to evaluate the process, like you were saying, like map everything out. and And then I think, how can we put some kind of measurable success on that I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, on this side of the technology business and customer success, I've often thought, okay, how can I help my customer evaluate whether this has been successful for them? It's it's a workflow. It's a very simple, small thing, like you said, a small win. I think that's perfectly, perfectly said, but I think, it does need to be evaluated in some fashion. And I think that probably happens around day 30, 90, depending on how big that workflow or challenge or opportunity might be. And I really think that it's, how has it helped my team? How can this success be evaluated overall? can this be replicated on other projects or in other processes? And you know, you kind of jump off from there. So I think day 30 and 90 are, are very closely linked. And I think, Jen, what you were saying too is reevaluating is really, really important. So constantly checking in with the users, like the day-to-day people that are constantly using the solutions or constantly reevaluating that process, upgrading, innovating, whatever. And then, obviously, leadership and checking in to make sure that you're in line with some of that.
2: Kara, you brought up a really good point. You cannot improve what you don't measure, and so setting that baseline and setting those metrics and you know understanding what success means to you is really, really important. And I think a lot of people skip that step. They don't they don't know what their baseline is. They don't even know how they're they're working today, and that's really, really critical.
0: Yeah, totally agree.
1: I think we've unpacked some some pretty cool stuff there and and I've seen kind of both approaches to new executive leadership coming into a team and one direction is obviously much more successful than the other. I know some people when they come in they want to make sure that they show the team that they they made an impact right away. They go, "I'm here and I've got this great idea. Boom, roll it out." And that doesn't necessarily feel good to the people that are, you know, doing the day-to-day work, even if it's a good idea. Because as, as you said, Jen, all those conversations that lead to that rollout, even if your intention from day one was to make that change, you, you've set a stage and you've set a conversation and you've set a vibe and a, a culture system, I guess. I, I'm I'm using the wrong words here, but you understand my intent is like once you get that buy-in from your team, they're gonna be so much more inclined to, to accept this decision that you've made because you've heard their voice and you understand the workflow and everything else instead of just being prescriptive. And I know when we talk about fostering innovation in particular, it's really important to consider that culture that exists at the company or what culture you're actually bringing to the table, especially regarding having a a safe space to innovate and having the room to consider new technology or have your team actually ask questions about why something is done a certain way, especially if it seems like it might be inefficient. And I'd really be eager to hear more about how both of you feel the cultural environment might empower or prevent people from asking some of these harder questions.
0: So I think it's really really important to make sure that leadership is building this really safe environment for people to fail, right? I think one of the biggest things and I've been on two separate, you know, sides of the fence there. I've been in situations where I, you know, have tried to bring in something and it just wasn't great, and then I've also been in situations where I had to prove out what I thought would be beneficial, and it did work, and it did help, and it was, you know, that innovation was utilizing a process that might have been used a different way, but it was something that, you know, I, I was successful at, and then there have also been failures. I think one of the biggest things that, you know, leadership has the responsibility to do, especially now with millennials, Gen Zs, different generational gaps in the workforce today I think it's their responsibility to make sure that they're communicating in the same language. I think that's, I'm a millennial myself, so I know I speak a very different language than some of the other generations. I'm <laughs> um, right there with you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's really important to make sure that you're accommodating for all of those. I think it's, there is a big gap in communication. Gen Zs and millennials have been exposed to technology at a rapid, rapid rate their entire lives. Like I remember taking computer classes when I was in first grade, like, you know, and and I can't necessarily say that for some of the other generations. So I think, I think one of the biggest things is being able to build a space that allows people to work differently to achieve the same goals. I think that's one of the bigger things that a lot of construction companies have in previous years have have had challenges with because there's been generational gaps because um, why would we go into construction you know the, the skilled labor like everything you know from subcontractors to construction management I think there's there's a lot to be said for the technology that has really kind of ramped up the industry and it really is starting to attract more of millennial generations because there's this really big explosion. With that said, I also think that a company does lose out when they don't accommodate for that. I think this is the way we've always done it is not an acceptable answer anymore. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's a very construction thing, so <laughs> it really is. And and it doesn't really encourage diverse thought. It doesn't encourage diverse Environments where people can can argue, people can disagree, people can openly bring up things that that are not working for them, as opposed to you know dredging through the day to day process that's literally keeping them up at night. So,
2: Kara, I love what you said. There's so much to unpack there. I think number one, culture is everything, and I'll tell you from my experience. You know it took pepper a year and a half to get me to join the company and a big reason for that is i really wanted to make sure i understood what the culture was like and that there was this safe and supportive environment for technology and innovation so i met with lots and lots of people throughout that time and a lot of our success goes to the fact that we have this culture of innovation it's okay to fail like you said if real, a lot of innovation comes from failure. I mean, even if you're not even setting a baseline, even though I, I say that's the first step, just failing alone is opening you up to innovation. And that's how you improve. Nobody's perfect, we're all human. So I think having that environment and going back to kind of the culture piece, and I'll kind of explain the Jen Earth sandwich effect that I, I talk about <laughs> a lot in my presentation. So I really think to create this environment, You need to have support at the top and leadership. So that's kind of that top bread of your sandwich. And then the bottom piece of bread is really the people that are implementing and innovating and executing a lot of the work. And then everybody in between eventually kind of falls in line. Carrie, you brought up a good point. If if companies aren't innovative, if they aren't improving, they're going to go out of business. I mean, it's just it's just a fact. You know construction as a whole when you look at productivity rates and lots of people have seen these great graphs where basically farming is the only thing that's least less productive for the past few decades
1: <laughs> i think people are tired of you seeing that chart at this point I know it's, it's a <laughs> rough one to look at <laughs> it's
2: so rough and even you know you look back to you know a decade ago we were actually becoming less productive than we were before and that's because we're just constantly doing things the same way and expecting a different result so definition of insanity right so what's really really great is construction has recognized that and so you're seeing a lot of these roles like myself and many others in these new new roles that just didn't exist you know 15 years ago but it's really really important that you know you have that buy-in from the top and you know carrie you were mentioning about generations, you know, Pepper's a good example. We're we're over 90 years old, we have four generations working. And I think people think, have these ideas that, you know, just if you're older, you might not be on board with things. If you're younger, that's all you care about. And what we've really proven at Pepper is exactly to your point, Kara, people just communicate differently. So we have people that everybody thinks won't touch technology because of their age, but they're going home at night and playing on their iPads with their grandkids. So that's where when I, I go back to engaging with people and talking to them, they're just as open-minded as everybody else. They don't want to be forgotten about. They want to do better. Um, so I think having those conversations with them and, and our big focus right now at Pepper is, you know, looking at the field and really how we can make improvements there. Because a lot of construction companies, there is that divide between the office and the field. And there's on top of that, then there's a the generation divide. and you really need to understand, you know, how you're you're talking with people, how you're working with them and kind of adapting to that. I mean, we all communicate differently no matter what age or generation we are. So, I think that's really really important, but it all goes back to the culture and having the support at the top.
1: And I think the the cool stuff that's coming out now is changing if you if you look at the the temperature of you know construction regarding some of these more soft skill type conversations they weren't necessarily being had 10 or 15 years ago and and i think that part of that impact has been brought in from you know millennials and gen z and some of the younger generation who uh, just feels this is very important but I, I love everything you both said about just the the importance of culture because I've seen the, that go both ways as well where I've sat in a bid review before and watched two grown-ups scream at each other at the top of their lungs from relatively executive positions at, at the company and this is, isn't just construction this is you know across the board this can happen and that type of conflict ultimately isn't productive for so many different reasons. One, because now you've got aggressive confrontation instead of productive debate to try to get to the end of the the root cause of the the disagreement but the other thing is especially when executives behave like this that trickles down through all of the teams and so if you see two senior executives who you know own the company or just you know very senior in leadership and somebody one tier down from them sees everybody behave like that they're very likely to think okay that's how we resolve conflict, and then unfortunately pivot to their direct reports and do the same thing. And when that happens, nobody's comfortable sharing bad news, or challenges, or problems, and that's a big deal in construction because schedule slippage ruins everything because you got liquidated damages, you're running into missed opportunity costs. If your project runs a month over, now your executives are focused on this project that should have been done, not pivoting to a new project or new awards that they're trying to chase. And the the long tail of that is substantial. So there's just so much tied into what might be a small thing where you only see this conflict once every month or something but the the blowback you know is substantial.
0: You're
2: totally right Eric. Your people reflect who the leadership is. And so and that's that's actually one of the reasons I love working at Pepper is the people are just as important as anything else and so you're absolutely right if you don't whatever is happening at the leadership level will trickle down to everyone else and especially I know we're going to talk about diversity, but especially when you bring in different diverse sets of people that puts them in an even more uncomfortable position because they might be seeing behaviors they're not accustomed to, and then they're not sure, is that the way I'm supposed to behave or can I just be myself? And so, you know, I really, really appreciate companies like Pepper and many others that understand that importance.
1: I agree completely. I'm very fortunate to be on a team much like what you're describing at Pepper, just as far as that safe place to to bring ideas and challenges and 100% of the things don't have to be successful at the end of the day. But as long as you learn from those opportunities and bring something better to the table next time, it's okay to do that. But I also think it's important to note here that innovative ideas aren't always centered around technology. And with that said, I'm curious to hear what you both think about how innovation evolves on the project site versus innovation in the office or the headquarters.
0: So I really feel that the project sites and the project teams are very reliant on and depend on the office or the headquarters. So it's the symbiotic relationship between the two. One can't exist without the other. With that said, I do think that project teams and project sites specifically are proof of concept, right? They, They prove out a lot of things, whether it's successful or not, it's important to make sure that you know, again, giving that space for innovation. And it's also where things go to, to be really successful with a multitude of different types of people. We're talking foremen, we're talking project managers, we're talking superintendents, we're talking all these different types of individuals that are implementing tools or, or processes. And then I think the field can be a reflection of the office because that's what supports the business. So I think the, the project sites are really, really critical to, to really implement those tools, implement those processes so that it's a, it's a measure of success of the business in a lot of ways. I think when I was out in the field and I was trying to get superintendents to use just a model on their iPad, <laughs> right? walking through the field, hey, this is the structural model. The the steel is going up. We haven't topped off. We've started to break ground, you know, like this is the latest and greatest fab model. This is what you're gonna be looking for. Use this as a reference during installation. It's more of like a quality control thing. But at the same time, there were you know, there are these superintendents that were blown away and super excited. Hey, can you update that that fab model? Is do we have, a, we have an updated model now? But I think you need to hand it over to the field in order to be successful. And again, that reflection of the business is really, really important. And I think that it, it like stems all the way up to headquarters. It stems all the way back to the office. So that's kind of I, that connectivity between the two. But it's really important because I think one can't exist without the other.
2: You're totally right, Kara. And, you know, when you look at a company like Pepper, for example, we're we're builders. So if we're not successful in the field, we're not going to have a business. And, you know, it's a big you know, when you look at new projects and you're going after them and you're putting together proposals and interviews, that's that's really critical for winning work. But the most critical thing is your existing relationships, your existing re- reputation and that really happens at the project level. So, I think really focusing on on them and like you said, I really I really believe that that's where innovation happens and it's also allows you to scale appropriately. If you kind of flip it and you kind of start at the headquarters side of things, you are now trying to force something on a bunch of teams that probably weren't part of the process to begin with. And so really how my approach and how we are at Pepper is let's really start at the project level and then scale from there. And maybe it will be an enterprise solution at some point. Another reason for that is just the people side. It means a lot more from one superintendent to brag to another superintendent, how amazing his new workflow or tool or, you know, situation was than me telling them. And I recognize that and I get it. (laughs) So I think, for me, if I if I was just focused on the headquarters and trying to explain to everybody how great it is, it doesn't mean as much as it would if they're hearing it from the team that actually used it and really believes in it. So I think that's really, really important. But you need that support in the headquarters and you need the resources. Another factor is, you know, if we're if we're pushing a lot of innovation out to the field, they're trying to build a building. So we have to make sure that what we're introducing to them is adding value, it's giving them back hours in the day, it's allowing them to focus on something else, it's allowing them to not have to do something that they just don't enjoy doing and doesn't add value. So I think that's where that, that relationship with the headquarters and the main office is, where we can help be that support so that when we do get out there and we show them that model on the iPad, we're not making them figure it out, we're literally showing them and explaining, hey, I, I, I heard you, you said you had this challenge, this is a solution that can help you, let me show you how to easily use it instead of making them try to figure it out. And let's just throw an iPad at them. So I think that's really, really important. But I'm all about boots on the ground, get in the field as much as possible. And, you know, that that's that's our business is building things.
1: (laughs) I think you really hit the nail on the head there. It's like a project pilot circumstance really where like even if the intention is we'd like to roll out X new tool or something to the entire organization, having that moment to really trial it with one specific team, especially if you're able to cherry pick, you know, your most enthusiastic adopters of technology to, to really set that baseline, that's such a powerful tool when, like you said, you, you come to these other different sites now and you can just say, you know, John over on, you know, H. Q94 in San Francisco loves this because XYZ and he goes home at 6:30 every day instead of 9 now because he recognizes that he saves so much time because he's not doing redundant work or you know data entry into 19 different systems because everything connects better like there's there's so much to to consider there and it's a great great path forward. Kara, I'd really like to hear your take from the, the support side of things specifically on making sure all the dots are connected when rolling out new or innovative ideas, specifically regarding technology adoption. Where do you think the critical connection points actually are between people out in the field every day and the execs that we were talking about who do spend a large portion of their time in the office ultimately supporting the field.
0: I think it's really important to start with technology champions. uh, People who are very open to technology or innovative new ideas on how to, to solve a problem. If there's a challenge or if there's a problem where you know you need to you need to solve it with technology i think the one of the one of the biggest things is again enabling the field enabling field individuals because the field is critical for testing that's the main spot for everything they hold the weight of the world they hold the budget they hold the schedule that's a lot of weight <laughs> and i think champions need to be empowered to technology champions or innovation champions need to feel empowered to you know, go to their leadership with challenges and problems and executives. And they need the room to test that. So, you know, I think it first starts out with these kind of connection points between the individuals that are champions per se, or innovation champions of the company, and the executives themselves. So how can these people work together to solve a bigger problem because the the champions are generally the people in the field. The, The champions are the ones that are going to be using all of that stuff all the time. So it's important to allow them to explore some of those changes that might be coming down from the executive level or maybe, hey, we found this really cool new tool or a cool new way to do something and we want you to test it out. And I think that it should be a team of people because you should have varying perspectives. Again, diversity I think also jumps in here. I think the second part of that is in this evaluation period, you do need to set some kind of success criteria to some degree. So kind of nodding to my previous statement. And I think that that success criteria will allow you to go back to your executive team and say, hey, this worked really well or this did not work at all (laughs) and i think it's really important for those relationships to exist but i think one of the biggest things is those executives need to be incredibly reliant on those people who are using those tools or innovating those processes or whatever they're doing because it's it's the level of trust of success because that success is tied to the job it's tied to the field it's tied to a process that's directly directly associated with a paycheck really and it it's really important for executives to have trust in their people and be able to rely on their people so I think you know I again and I've been in a situation where I tried to bring in technology and it took me like six months to bring in a 360 degree camera to a company it was this silly thing but I just wanted to take a picture of what was above ceiling I dealt with a lot of MEPs in the field but the the owner would have loved to have something like that from a record-keeping standpoint and it was just a very simple thing but Again, your executives need to trust you.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important. When you look at really strong leaders in any company, they trust their people, they support their people. Really, the boots on the ground, like I said, is the ones that are you know doing the work. So from my perspective as a fellow leader in the company, if my team has an idea of a better way to do it, and yes we have belts and suspenders on things and you know backup options in case something goes awry because we have to keep going from a business perspective but i give them that that open space to really try out their idea i mean if they if they're the ones doing the work and they really think it adds value i need to trust them there and i think that's really really important and you mentioned another really interesting piece you know when you look at diversity of a group so we have these champions these people that are really all about trying new things, really supporting innovative ideas. I don't want us to forget about the ones though that maybe aren't as open-minded cuz they're just as critical and important. Nothing makes me happier than to see somebody's perspective totally switch and all of a sudden they went from, you know, somebody that didn't necessarily buy in completely to some of the ideas we're having and then all of a sudden they're our biggest champion. But, you know, nobody you're never going to improve if you're sitting in a room with all like-minded people, right? So you need those people that are challenging you and making you prove the value. I find that just as important. I think that's something that everybody needs to think about when they're looking at you know, improvements and innovation and things in their company. And I'll be transparent, Pepper's had a really, a really amazing ride and journey with trying to figure out how to be successful with new ideas and innovation. And we've, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things, anything from being in a think tank and really coming up with ideas and, you know, committees for innovation and all, you know, all these things are probably most, many of the companies listening to this podcast are probably going through, but it really, the most success I have found is, like we've said, working with project teams that have leaders that are open-minded and supportive and really trying it out there. because. We all know, any of us that have seen a demo of a product or or a commercial, (laughs) everything's perfect in this ideal scenario. But until you really get out there in a real-world scenario, it's really hard to fully, fully kind of vet out that idea.
1: I really like the part where you shared how fun it is to see the light bulb finally turn on when you are, you know, getting those reluctant technology adopters to understand the value is that's such a fun moment because finally you go okay like here's here's the why of what we're doing let me prove this business case etc cetera, etc cetera. but when you you get that poof and somebody jumps in and they go holy cow this is Awesome and I now understand that I get to go home earlier because of this or don't have to do this very manual and labor-intensive data entry, you know, scope of work any longer because we've connected the dots. It's it's so powerful. And it's it also kind of ties into just that that balance is is somebody had alluded to, I can't remember which one of you had said it, of balancing innovation with your day job too. Like asking people to to do both of those at once, especially in the construction industry. It is honestly a- a tall ask because there is so much work to do and the margins are narrow, obviously. We're all aware of that. And there are things like labor shortages and all the other stuff that we talk about constantly and we're all worried about but tired of hearing. And in that balance between innovation and just getting it done and being able to move on to the next project is a really tough balance to strike. But I think when you come back to the culture stuff that we were talking about and just making sure people understand that those 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 guidelines are there like you have the freedom to fail but we're all going to catch you at the same time if you do it's not just all right we're not going to deliver that project anymore tools dropped let's go home and so from there, this is kind of an interesting segue, but I'd really like to pivot to the second segment of our show, which is centered around mentorship specifically. And as I mentioned earlier, this week also happens to be Women in Construction Week. So I think this is an excellent moment for both of you to really highlight where you see opportunity to empower others in the AEC world. And when it comes to attracting new talent in construction. One of the things that the industry struggles with really is a perception problem. Many people only think construction careers are about hammering nails and pouring concrete, even though that's really only a small part of the picture. And I'd love to hear each of your thoughts about how we can more successfully show newcomers that construction technology is a high-tech industry with great career opportunity.
2: So I will admit I was one of those people that had no idea that construction had all these other opportunities. And frankly, when I started my career, maybe there wasn't as many opportunities in technology. <laughs> that's, that's a fair
1: point. There weren't many when I started either. And that was maybe a, a little more than a decade ago. So things have changed a lot.
2: For sure. And you know, like I had mentioned earlier, I started off in architecture. I wanted to be an architect. And As I went through that process went through the schooling I realized oh I'm a lot more technical so I moved over to the engineering side and that's when I started really understanding kind of the relationships between design and construction and I was looking at all the great and I worked at you know I worked at AirUp and some of these very large innovative firms and so technology was just a natural part of our processes. I even look today at some articles and things about ways people are using technology and I look back and say think I was doing that 15 years ago at ERP <laughs> because they had that culture and you know all of that. So what I found interesting was construction was so far behind. So I was using 3D models for you know, analysis and producing draw- documents. I was even reviewing smittles in 3D. I mean, there were so many amazing things that aren't even the norm now, which they could be, but construction wasn't necessarily leveraging those same tools. So as I started, I actually, one of my last years in design, I actually moved to New York to be on site for um, a large airport JFK expansion. And I was working hand in hand with the contractors, two very large, reputable construction companies. and. I was seeing the gaps but also the opportunities and so when I came back to Chicago another general contractor reached out to me and said hey we'd love you to join our firm and it was in this new technology role and I had a lot of conversations with them because what does that mean what is my what does my job look like? (laughs) And it's been really interesting because when I started that journey we were still trying to get buy-in and support you know like we're selling our services internally to our own project teams and trying to show them like i swear we add value trust us and now you fast forward you know over a decade further and the position i'm in now and i'm not saying we don't we still have to prove our value and you know there's still those people that aren't fully bought in but now my team is just as part of the team as anybody else. Like when you look at the team, you know there's all these traditional roles, the PE, the PM, the superintendent. Now my team, whether it's MEP coordinator or the virtual construction engineer, they're part of that team and they're just a role that's now automatically kind of being included in budgets and the success of the project. And it's just, it's so amazing to see. And what's been really interesting even the past year or two is we're actually seeing field labor. So the boots on the ground that are pouring concrete and picking up hammers, they're starting to bleed into our world as well. So we have the people that are carpenters and concrete, um, laborers that now are performing laser scans, or we have a couple drone pilots that are my union (laughs) laborers out in the field. (laughs) And we're seeing this blend, which is so amazing. And, you know, some of them are even saying, huh, maybe I'll kind of keep moving that direction and maybe, you know, come to the office and quote side because, you know, we're boots on the ground as well. But it's been really, really amazing to see that. And that just opens up so many opportunities to so many people that they didn't know that that existed.
0: Yeah, I think that's super exciting. And I I think you're totally right when you say the the industry has changed so much since you started. It's changed so much since I started. You know, I I walked into the construction world in 2012 and it was for Skanska USA. Again, like Arup, very innovative company, very open to technology. And, you know, some of the processes that they were doing were innovative at the time And I think, you know, slightly ahead of the curve and it's incredible how much just, you know, bringing a simple model into the field has changed to let's attach data, let's attach analytics, let's make sure that we have embedded model information, submittal information in that model barcoding all in the palm of your hand not just on an ipad or a computer anymore you can pull it up on your phone just like you can pull up facebook on your phone or twitter or whatever you're you know you're using in your off time and i think what's a great thing to consider is that technology has blown up in the construction world in in the last several years it is if if there is a process for or problem there is an app that's created for it 10 times over and i think that it's less the opportunity of innovation and technology and more the let's weed through what's actually going to be successful in in process and procedure and what's working for a company and i think that's where it's really exciting i think the processes, kind of, that you were talking through, and some of the things, you know, 3D submittal reviews and things like that. I, it's, it is super exciting because I think, I remember pulling out a steel drawing and having to look at edges and measure and you know, like getting a scale out and doing all of that stuff. And that was at some of, one of the more innovative companies at the time. And it's, it's so much, it's changed so much. You know, like you said, laser scanning, subcontractors are doing that, foremen are doing that, boots on the ground, people are pulling up models on their phones, are pulling up RFIs that potentially are tied to them things like that that i think are incredibly world changing or or industry changing and and it's happened so fast it's almost like i had, i didn't even realize how much has happened in the short period of time that i've been even involved in the industry
1: it's it's almost overwhelming to look at how much technology is out there but it's it's such a obvious inflection point when that happened. When I started in industry, I was working for a a contractor that was doing mostly federal contracting in imminent danger environments. And the ability to get real site condition information for things like change orders or contract modifications was an absolute nightmare. And you would actually have to send people to these places to go do the the walk because a, a tiny digital camera and some photos in a write-up, was never going to give you a sufficient amount of information to capture that detail. To in turn, you know, either ask for more money or explain, you know, change in scope. In I look at what's existing in the market today for that kind of tech and it's totally different. Like I I probably would not have done sidewalks in cobble to be honest if the technology that exists now did in 2012, you know, and it's it's just a cool thing to kind of to watch unfold. And so we know that Most data these days shows that representation and leadership is is very critical for creating successful and truly diverse organizations. What's the best path forward that allows construction teams to upskill a more diverse group of talent to fulfill these key leadership roles in the future?
2: Yeah, so when you look at construction as a whole, it historically has not been very diverse and it hasn't been any more productive than it was. And so a a big reason for that is it's a lot of people that think the same way, look the same way, doing the same stuff. And when you introduce diversity, and it could be gender, race, different education backgrounds, it can be a whole slew of things. When you introduce diversity into your business, it brings new ideas. It brings different ways of thinking that you you weren't necessarily thinking about. One way to actually get diverse people is to have diversity in your company. You know, I still remember an interview with a very large, reputable GC and I interviewed 12 different people and they were all white males. And to me, it's actually why I turned the job down. Cause to me, I was thinking, where is the diversity? Either you don't have it or you don't respect it or you don't use it. And I think something to think about, too, is when you bring in that diversity into your leadership, you also have to let them have a voice. It's not about quotas or anything like that. And there's some great statistics out there on why that's important. Some of the numbers that I've heard is, you know, companies with racial and ethnically diverse companies are 35% more likely to perform at a higher level. Diverse teams are 87% better decision makers than individuals. And that means if you don't have diversity in your company, you're literally not performing at the highest level you can be and you're potentially losing money. So one thing though, as you start introducing and it's all about attraction and retention, it's both of those things. And so when you bring in diverse people, you need to realize they have a different perspective and background. We talked about how people communicate differently, but. So when you're looking at your company, you need to recognize that and realize that with diversity, they bring different strengths and different ways of thinking, but they also may not have some of the, the background that some of the other team members do and vice versa. Right? Like I look at everyone jokes that I hire so many architects and engineers, and that wasn't what construction used to be like. Everybody had construction management backgrounds before. And, you know, there's pros and cons to both, but you need both types of people and They both have different backgrounds and require different training. So I think one, it's recognizing that and providing the support, you know, to be able to succeed in that environment because retention is just as important. You know, you can, you can attract the most diverse candidates, but if you don't retain them, that should be a flag too, that, you know, there's some changes you need to make and it probably is you're not recognizing the differences that you need to help pull them up because they have just as great capabilities as anybody else. They just have a different background.
0: Yeah, you're totally right, Jen. I was kind of like thinking about some of the things that you were saying as you were kind of going through them and you think about it too, like you're saying, you know, I hire architects and engineers. It's kind of a funny thing, but an architect and an engineer think vastly different from one another, (laughs) like just let's bucket those two people, those types of people. Right. And then think about your superintendent or your project manager and how they think, as opposed to an estimator or a pre-con manager, you know? So I think, I think you're totally right there. I think it's really, really important, you know, gender and race and, and things like that are really obvious things, right? But the other kind of component of that is fostering different types of thoughts that reside within the industry. Maybe it's a furniture designer that you, that you hire. I don't know. But design thought is very different from a, a technical thought process. People tend to be more analytical on a technical mind track. But when it comes to a designer, they're a, way out there sometimes. So I think it it is really, really important to to have that reflect down from leadership and you made an incredible point there about empowering people there so when you do have you know diversity in your leadership team you need to be able to empower those people to have a voice within the company that then trickles down which we talked about earlier to the other people in the company. And I think that's kind of essential to retaining people. So, you know, everything you said, I 100% echo. I totally agree with. You know, I think it's really important to have that diversity of thought and background and everything else.
1: I'm so appreciative to have the opportunity to have conversations like the one we're having right now because I think construction and even all other industries as well are, are starting to really recognize the importance of of this diversity and and jen like you shared there's a business case to be made for it that's not just based on the fact that you know you're doing the right thing because you're being a good person to you know ensure everybody has an opportunity but even if you're you know stepping back and you know putting your accounting hat on or your employee retention hat on or whatever that might be like there's there's so many strong cases to be made that this is the correct path forward and for those listening, I I know there's an earlier episode that we deconstructed the trust report that Autodesk put out last year, but that retention thing was a big part of that. In large contractors who experience substantial turnover typically lose up to $750,000 a year because of excessive turnover versus organizations who have this culture of high trust that ultimately don't incur these costs. And then those people actually recruit for you on your behalf, too, because you go, holy cow, Pepper has an incredible culture. You need to come work with me. It's fantastic versus, oh, yeah, I've got a decent job and it pays pretty well. Uh, I don't know if you'd want to come in. They don't leverage XYZ technology for you know whatever hypothetical contractor I'm talking about now. But I would really like to to step back to the fact that it is Women in Construction Week and ask if you've got any specific advice for young women who are out there listening to our conversation on where they might start if they really do aspire to hold a leadership position in construction. You've both had just incredibly successful careers and I, I would love to hear just some nuggets on, you know, what worked for you. So, you know, those listening can can take that to heart and hopefully, uh, you know, be the, the leaders of next year and tomorrow.
0: Yeah. First and foremost, find a mentor. That's the biggest thing. That's, I don't think I'd be anywhere today without the mentors that I've had along the way. Now, that's somebody that's going to foster your, you know, your strengths and somebody who is willing to help you along the way. I'm going to just do a small plug here. Allie Scott has always been, she's been my mentor for the last nine years. And it's just incredible to see the journey that we've had and the relationship. We're friends, but she's my mentor too. And I think she's always been, and I'll use it as an example. She's always been there to not only help me set goals, but set a path to get there and i think i'm big on manifestation right like i think it's really important to visualize okay i want to be a vp in 5 years but this these are the six things i'm going to do to make sure i get there and i think that mentor or mentors and i think there are you know opportunities for both or or many sorry but i think the the idea is is that your mentor is is there to help you get there, right? To get to that VP level or that that executive level. And I think you know, when it comes to setting those goals, it's really important to not only have a mentor, but there are mentors and there are coaches and then there are, you know, people who who back you up or or sponsor you. And I think A lot of people, you know, you kind of put in a bucket of mentor, but maybe it's somebody that's actually saying, hey, this person, you know, Cara is a really great candidate to talk over about XYZ in this conference or in this, you know, environment. And, And I think the sponsorship is really important. So you have people pushing for you. You have your mentor that's personally letting you like kind of grow to those goals. And then, you know, you've got your coaches that might be your peers even that are like, hey, you totally can do this. Like you've got this, (laughs) you know, today getting on this podcast. I was a little nervous, I'm not gonna lie. And I think, you know, I, I get a message from one of my peers and she's like, yes, you can totally do this. Not a big deal, just a conversation. And I think that that, you know, that's empowering and you just need to to have that you need to have your 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 groups of people you're so right
2: Kara I mean mentorship and having your people is so important and I think one thing that people should think about is your mentor doesn't have to be a woman you know I have so many amazing females in my life but some of the positive growth I've seen in my career is from relationships with some male leaders there are plenty of males, and actually my current supervisor is one that he recognizes the importance of diversity. He recognizes that, you know, the challenges that I may face and things like that. And he supports that. And, you know, we talk about when we go to to meetings, sometimes, you know, men don't notice that it's all men in the room, but if there's one woman, she notices right away she's the only female. And, you know, there's there's men that do actually recognize it and support you. So I think that's something to think about. But you know, one thing that I think was a huge learning piece for me as I kind of moved up in my career was recognize you're probably different than everyone and that's not a bad thing and be yourself. When I switched from design to construction, when I look back and everyone asks like, what do you miss most about design? The lack of diversity and just was jarring to me. I mean, I remember, I still mm-hmm. remember a specific meeting that I was sitting in where people were yelling and I, I kept thinking, I guess I'm supposed to raise my voice now for what I need to say. And it, w- it was the one time I raised my voice and I felt super uncomfortable and it didn't work for me because that's just not who I am. And so I was really in my early stages of construction trying to figure out like, should I be like them? Because everyone else is this way. And as soon as I recognized, and actually it was from my, my male boss that said, no, Jen, your strength is that you are different than them and just be yourself. And as soon as I put myself back in my own shoes, my career just flourished. And so I think that's really, really important to realize. And don't be afraid to speak up and don't leave the table. I think some people get you know, scared and they just step away and you think, oh, well, you know, if I look at all the leaders, they all are this way and I'm never going to be able to be that way. So I should just not focus on that and that isn't true like our leadership is changing (laughs) and becoming more diverse so I think be comfortable in your own skin leverage mentors I mean I know I love when I go to conferences and speak and you know strong you know women and all parts of their career they could be early on or later come up to me and we build these relationships and we have advice for each other and you're right Kara just rooting each other on I remember the first time ever I said look I want a promotion I deserve this I mean, it probably was a year of me thinking about what should I say? Do I check every single box? And it took, you know, my mentors to say, yes, Jen, you can do it. Like, why are you not speaking up? Everybody else does. Why don't you do it? So I just, I think that's so important is to have surround yourself with great people, be comfortable in your own skin and fight for yourself.
1: I think those, those prime mentorship moments are, are so critical. And I can look back at my career and very specific moments where I met the right person at the right time who was like, I've noticed you like X, Y, Z, and these are the things you do. You should do this. And it was always kind of a, an eye-opening moment where I went, wow, like, uh, I can do that? Like, really, that's, that's on the table? And then, you know, starting to, to figure that out. And I, I appreciate, leaders that create safe spaces to have those conversations and uh, things like the fact that uh, imposter syndrome is something that people very openly discuss is, is also just really important to acknowledge and then also offer people insight on how to overcome that or at least push it down enough where you can take that next step and then prove yourself and go, okay, like I can, I can do this. So I, I appreciate that insight a great deal. So I have one more question for each of you before we end this week's episode, and I'm subjecting everybody on this show to this question. And it's been a lot of fun to see, you know, what shakes out every time. So can each of you tell me what is one tool that you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what kind of project you're working on? Kara, how about we start with you?
0: All right, so it's it's not a physical object. (laughs) It's patience. I think that's one of the biggest things that I try and bring to any situation for any kind of project that I'm tasked with or I task myself with. I know that you know, it's, patience is the basis of understanding a problem and then going forth to solve it. And that's no matter how big or small that might
1: be. I like that, and I feel as, as millennials, we're sometimes primed to have that instant gratification where, you know, I want the thing now, and I, I'm prone <laughs> to it myself to be completely candid, and it, it did take me a while to get to a point where I would just kind of settle back and go, okay, like I can send that message and just walk away from my desk, and when the response gets here, it gets here, and it's going to be fine. Jen, how about you? What's, uh, what's your tool that you like to bring to all your projects?
2: So I'm going to go a little more physical than what Kara had suggested, although I had many ideas on that front. But honestly, from a physicality besides the obvious things, um, I always have adapters and cords, whether it's a long HDMI and an extension cord. And no joke, I mean, I I was really struggling because I knew you'd probably ask this question. And I was like, (laughs) what am I always bringing that wasn't you know my brain and my ears which are number one <laughs> like right i gotta listen and i gotta think and be open-minded but i cannot tell you how many times myself or somebody else we you know we're constantly especially now we're in an environment where we're mobile a lot and we're virtual in the different areas and i think it's so important to be prepared for all scenarios i always want to remove anything that i can control like just hey i don't want that to be a stressor and so it sounds really simple but i will always be the person that has THOSE PIECES WITH ME. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guarantee you've you've been the hero in, in many a, a conference and session where you know nine people are standing there with laptops that can magically not connect to the projector that you're supposed to give for your keynote and you know out comes the adapter and you know away we go so I'm going to remember that when we're in person at Autodesk University next year if I'm in you know, dire need of an adapter I'm going to come running for you and uh, hopefully you can save the day
2: <laughs> yep as long as somebody didn't borrow it and not give it back so I sometimes have two because of that
1: (laughs) (laughs) just a a, a trunk full of uh macbook adapters and everything it's it's an endless burden but we all appreciate you for it so before we close of course do either of you have anything that you'd like to plug that our listeners should know about
0: i think i'm just gonna do my my organizational plug here for autodesk construction customer success and my team i think it's really important for Autodesk as a technology partner to actually have a, be a business partner, and I think it's really important to have a really good relationship with our customers so that we can not only better ourselves, but help our customers in technology and the technology track that they follow, and innovation is obviously a part of that. So I'm plugging for, for Autodesk construction customer success.
1: I love it because I, I partner with your team pretty frequently to get you know a temperature check on how customers are feeling about uh, different things, and and I leverage your team so heavily on that because you're also just dang good at it. You you understand the customer needs, and you really go to market with an intention to help outcomes and to help workflows and to figure out you know, how can we make whatever product the customer is leveraging or interested in really work for them. And I've seen it firsthand. It's not just, okay, you've bought Autodesk Construction Cloud XYZ product. Here you go, have a nice day. Like our, our team is is very large and, and very impactful. So I think you're on point there. How about you, Jen? Do you have anything you'd like to plug for our listeners?
2: Yeah, I mean, first, obviously, I want to really plug Pepper Construction, you know, although we're a general contractor, we're a little bit more than that. And I've been really appreciative of how, you know, we've become, we really look at ourselves as partners with our clients, even our technology partners like Autodesk and others. And I really, really value a lot of what we provide. It's been really interesting to see the journey we've had and how we're not just a typical builder. And to me, that's just so exciting. So I definitely want to plug Pepper and all the great work that we've been doing and just how transparent we've been with our journey and what we're doing, which is great. I'd also like to talk about just for a second, the ACE Mentorship Program. So this is a national program and then every state typically has their own local chapter. And it's a mentorship program focused on high school students, really focused on ones that are in communities that are underrepresented. So, you know, you're talking about diversity and and things like that. So these are students that may not realize college is an option, may not realize careers in architecture and construction engineering are. And so there's tons of amazing companies from the design, construction, engineering worlds that are part of this program to mentor these students. And we're all raising a lot of money to provide scholarships at the end of the day to really help these students out. I'm on the board here in Chicago and been involved for over a decade, really passionate about it. And, you know, when you talk about recruiting really great candidates for the future, I would hire every person in this program if I could it's just amazing these students that we if we didn't have this program I don't know if I'd ever know that they existed so. I highly recommend you looking and seeing if there's opportunities in your local chapters to get involved with and if not like don't hesitate to donate money because it's, it's going straight to the students.
1: I love hearing that, and just knowing that there's there's more opportunities to you know reach these underrepresented communities. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Hopefully, you know some of our listeners who have some hiring power um, take note of that and add that to their list when they're looking for you know more uh, more candidates to fill the ever growing funnel for uh, for labor. So thank you. Uh, if any if any of our listeners have questions for either of you. Can you share how to best connect with you?
2: Sure. So for me, just look me up on LinkedIn, Jennifer Sewerth obviously at Pepper Construction, definitely reach out on LinkedIn and I would love to connect with more people.
0: Yeah. Same here. Carol Wolzinski on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm an Autodesk employee, so I'm sure you'd be able to find me pretty easy. And again, happy to connect with anybody in the industry space. If you're having any challenges, happy to help and looking forward to connecting.
1: All right, everyone. Well, thanks for taking time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. As always, if you want to reach out to me with any questions or would like to be a guest on a future episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter via builder underscore digital. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Hearing from listeners is always awesome. And of course, I'd be a horrible podcast host if I didn't say this, but please like, subscribe to, and share Digital Builder and your favorite podcast player. It honestly does help me out a great deal so if you did that i'd sincerely appreciate it and uh, on that final note goodbye
0: you've been listening to digital builder to ensure that you never miss an episode subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player if you're listening with apple podcasts we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves and then you're done thank you so much for listening until next time